0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Man Buns and Jesus, where neither one of us has our hair in a bun. Uh, my name is Pastor Ben Olschlager, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lake Orion, Michigan, and that attractive man on the other side of my screen is Josh Laborius, pastor of Eastvale Lutheran Church. Right, so close,
1: Edgewater Lutheran Church, Edgewater Lutheran Church,
0: Vail. Eastvale, California. I keep keep getting my hair
1: is now up in a bun so
0: his hair is now up in a bun I have no hair tie so that's not happening on my end
1: I have liturgically Uh, colored hair ties for the season of Lent
0: same Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um Josh what are we talking about today
1: today we're we're talking about small groups um which if you probably if you've been in the church for any length of time you've had some sort of interaction with either being in a small group or maybe being pressured to be in a small group or being told that small groups are stupid um and they get branded all sorts of different i've heard them called life groups uh i i've been trying to maybe call them something along the lines of community groups some people just call them groups it's small groups it's uh
0: house churches I've heard that term applied to a small group
1: yeah uh, Christ care groups is another one I've heard um, although I think that's like a specific brand maybe anyway so we're going to talk about small groups and and more specifically um, we're going to talk about kind of the value of them when they are done well and some of the things that people mess up a lot with small groups. Um, and I didn't tell Ben any of this, but this is something that like I've, I've put a lot of, of thought into. I'm actually thinking of making this a pretty serious part of my my dissertation eventually. Um, like this is something I, I think that it is a really important part of, of ministry in the church today. But I think, especially in Lutheran churches, I think a lot of pastors get frustrated that it doesn't work like they want it to work and they kind of just bail on it. Um, so so just a couple of, to, to kick us off, here's some of the benefits I see of having a, a well-organized small group system. Mm-hmm. And, and the first is that You have people regularly in the word in a way that does not require more time commitment from your pastor. Right. Because in a small group, except for the one I am part of, I am not teaching. I am not leading. I I mean, I'm providing materials for But that's that's very much a a multiplication of efforts. Right. If I want write a single Bible study series, I have now like I can use that for five different groups right um so it provides that additional time in the word but i think what is what is almost uniquely valuable about the small groups is as they grow that word can speak into your life much more directly so so if i'm if i'm preaching a sermon and there are 60 people in front of me um there is only so much i can do to bring that into each individual person's life right because that's 60 different people with 60 different lives that have 60 different needs. Um, Maybe not 60 different everything, okay? But, But there's a lot of diversity there. Whereas if you're sitting in a group of like eight people and you're talking about a passage from James or Matthew or whatever, and those eight people are familiar with their life, with each other's lives, you can have a conversation about how does this actually apply to me as an individual, to my life specifically. Um, so that's kind of more of like the, the, bene, the, the benefit to kind of our faith and how we apply to our faith. But what, what's actually, I think, maybe even more value about, valuable about small groups is it's giving you a, a more relationally based Christian community. You have people, if you show up to small, like if you show up to church and you're worshiping with 100 people, it's not always super appropriate for you to say, I've had a really bad week. I need everybody to stop and pray for me. But if you show up at small group and, and you've had a really tough week, that, that's a perfect place for you to say, guys, I'm really struggling right now. Can we pray? So it, it gives you that smaller community space where you can be lifted up in prayer, where you can be supported where you can or you can have those Christian friendships that are so important that are so critical that maybe are tougher. Uh, to really carry out in a larger setting, mm-hmm. so those are some of the benefits I see just right off the top for for small group ministry. What do you think, Ben? Am I am I
0: am I in the ballpark? No, I think I think where you've um, or where your head is going is definitely like the the primary, like the primary and most obvious benefits of, of small groups. Um, anytime that you take a larger group and, and start to chunk it down and let the relationships develop in a smaller setting, you're gonna get tighter uh tighter relationships you're going to get deeper relationships um and you're going to have more opportunity for um in some sense oversight and growth um i mean that's why traditionally a lot of the lutheran church missouri senate churches uh which we are a part of um have assigned elders to a portion of the congregation right because if you have one elder that you are reporting to in a congregation of, you know, say if you're at a congregation of 250 and they have 10 elders, each of them has 25 people that they're responsible for um, ministering to. That's a lot easier than one pastor trying to minister to those 250 people. Um, And when concerns rise above the, the capability of an elder, which is, no offense to our elders, but often pretty quickly, it's easier to pass one person out of your 25 up the chain than, you know, have everyone coming directly to the pastor for everything. Um, And so there's definitely some of that even historically in terms of the the benefits of of shrinking things there. Um, I, I think something that was really interesting in the way that you introduced this topic that I think I would be interested in hearing more on, of your opinions on, though, is you, you noted that, especially in our Lutheran tradition, um, when we introduce small groups, more often than not, pastors end up frustrated with the way that they're going. What do you think some of the, the, the things that drive that are?
1: So I think a, a big one, First of all, I think a big one is that pastors have maybe higher expectations than are um, are warranted. Like they say, "Oh man, I got this new curriculum. I have this forty days challenge or whatever. I'm going to put people into small groups, and then they're all going to be in small groups, and it's just going to it's going to be a well-oiled machine, and it's going to just work." <laughs> that's not okay. If you've ever worked with people, you know that's not that's not how this. Works right. Um, I think a lot of times it, th- that's part of it is pastors want to see, you know, I drop something to a group and it just works, and then they kind of want to like set it and forget it. And it's not, and, and there's some frustration when you know it doesn't work like that. I think some yeah. other frustration is maybe you get a lot of traction with a big thing. Like, uh, I know a lot of churches for Lent are doing one of the uh 40 day challenges. There's the mm-hmm. red letter challenge. There's the, the being challenge. There's the forgiving challenge. Um, I've only done the red letter challenge. I have all three books. I mean, it's well done stuff, right? And, and the church gets really excited and everybody gets in a group. And then after that 40 days. They all stop and and pastors are like, what, what the heck? Because everybody was so excited about the curriculum. And and not necessarily really about the group, so I think that's probably a lot of frustration. Um, Probably like that I think is from a best construction kind of perspective there's probably also some frustration that when there's a small group you lose some control as pastor. Mm -hmm. Right, because people are having faith discussions. Not that aren't involving you. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which like. I love right as a as a pastor I think that's a great thing and I make myself available if they ever run into a topic or a question that they want more on or that they they can't handle on their like. But I guess like if I can see someone who maybe is more insecure um, being concerned that they're going to think they can do this all on their own and they don't need me whatever. To which my response is, like, the number one fear in this country is public speaking. The fact that you can preach right there, you're indispensable. Um, (laughs) um, So I think that's that's probably where a lot of the frustration comes from. Um, But also just, I, I feel like almost every step along the way, there's, there are opportunities for frustration if you go about it.
0: Poorly. Wrong way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is yeah. unfortunate just, because then people get burned, right? Yeah. They're a part of a small group that doesn't work well or isn't structured well. And then the next time anyone says the word small group, they're like hissing and retreating into a corner. So. Uh.
0: Yeah, I, just as you were talking there, I think it's, you mentioned the, the, the maybe knee-jerk reaction or the, the desire to, to just program every element of a, of a small group. Um, and I, I think back to a joke that kind of circulated around our friend group in the seminary and that there's no such thing as a good, highly structured program um like highly structured inflexible program because no two contexts are the same right so if something works perfectly at edgewater it's probably going to work poorly here um yeah. because we have two different congregations
1: i think i think what we have to be willing to do as like i have an interest in you know i we have what I would say is small group success at edgewater
0: mm-hmm. um
1: after last sunday I have fifty eight members who are considered active, which means that they attend over fifty percent of worship services. I have forty people in small groups like that's that's what 75 percent no sixty six percent a little yeah Six yeah, sixty six, sixty seven percent like that for a Lutheran church is an astronomical number, mm-hmm. and I have some interest in saying, well, is there a way that I can I can can this success be duplicated elsewhere? Mm-hmm. I, like I have I have some interest in that, I, at very least curiosity. But you know, I have friends. We both have friends coming out of the seminary, and they they show up with their new their new place and their task is small group ministry. They're like, hey, new seminary and get this done, figure out this problem that no one's been able to solve for decades. Um, So I have some, like, how can I, what can we take away from what Edgewater has done that would actually be robust in different circumstances? And i think i think you're 100 right you're not looking for a structure you're not looking for a way to do it i think what what you can pull what you can say this what what does sm- successful small group ministry take i think you can pull out principles and then uh and then you apply those principles to your context so mm-hmm. Some of the things that that I have done here that have been really really well received, which to be fair, I, I've been here for you know it's about to be eight months, and typically mm-hmm. the timeline for a small group is they typically last nine months, so I, like this success could all just collapse, and I, I'm 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 acknowledging that that is a possibility. I don't see that when when I talk to these members of the groups when I talk to the leaders. There's no intention of like, oh, we're going to be, we're going to call it soon. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of things I did that I think no matter what your context is, no matter what's, what you have to end up using, um, they would help ministry be more successful. So the very first thing I did is um, I haven't slotted anyone in a group. At all I identified my leader and I think this was probably two weeks after I was here I identified uh, I started off with two um, two women who who right off the bat I was like these these ladies have it they can lead they can organize whatever Um, I reached out and I said I would like you to do this I, I would like you to do a small group kind of thing invite your friends right pick your and and I, I said just reach out to people that you have a relationship with already and say hey do you guys want to get together once a week and i think like that that starting principle is is you're building on relationships that already exist mm-hmm. right which makes a big difference because if you're going to hang out with your friends that's a lot different from oh I'm going to a bible study with seven people I don't know yeah, so I think that's, that's a good principle. Another one is um, our size. If a group reaches uh, between eight to 10 people, I, I, we don't close it off, but we kind of we, we don't, we don't necessarily make it available for more people to join mm-hmm. because The bigger a group gets, the easier it is to skip group because you feel like you won't be missed, the less you can engage in conversation, all that sort of stuff. So kind of limiting the size and making a promise and a commitment to the leaders. I will never pull anyone out of their group. Mm -hmm. If I need to make a small group, I'm not going to go to an existing small group and say, hey, I need to take your leader. I need to take this strong leader. Like that's, that's antithesis to the community we're trying to create. So which I think like that's a well documented strategy, you build a group until it gets big, and then you split it. And it's like, you're just gonna split these relationships that have been building forever long. Like, that's, this is counterproductive to the community Mm -hmm. you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last thing that I've noticed that I think makes a huge difference is I point blank told them, do not do a Bible study every week once at once a month go out and just hang out we we my the young adult group that i'm a part of we've gone to a basketball game we've gone to we we intended to go bowling and then we found out that apparently bowling's the only thing to do on sunday nights in uh in norco california and there was an hour and a half long wait to get a lane so we we got ice cream instead um we have one group they did a christmas party they went to an apple orchard um because you know the these communities shouldn't just be about head knowledge and you know getting into your word that's a good thing certainly but you're also concerned with the relationships so just and, and like we have one my my wife's part of the ladies group um mm-hmm. And I think their their last social thing was th- they just they just showed up at the same house they always meet at, but they just sat and talked for a couple hours. Now like <laughs> my, my wife didn't get home until like 10 o'clock at night that night. Because they were just they were just sitting talking about life. Because you're building those relationships and which is such a, a critical part of that. Mm-hmm. And none of that is a structure right the curriculum for my groups, I just told them tell me what you want to study and i'll either find you a curriculum or i'll write you a curriculum. Um, you know it's the curriculum, whatever you want to use, I would actually encourage you don't use something that's super hyped up because then people are going to get more excited about the curriculum than the group it's. Focus on those relationships on building that trust on building that Community and, and the rest you know. Yeah. So tell me, do you when when you hear me say those things, would any of like, would any of those things not port well to Good Shepherd?
0: No, I think I I resonated with pretty much everything you were saying. Um, When I was on Vicarage, they gave me the responsibility of, you know, here's a church you've been at four months, start our small group program. Uh, guy who hasn't even finished some yet. That was great. Um, and it was actually a lot of fun and I learned a lot in that experience. Um, and I like we hard cap, I don't know if they still do this at that church, but we hard capped our groups at 12 people. Um, because everything that I, uh, everything that I was seeing and reading, um, and learning about small groups, I apologize for the phone ringing in the background. I'm going to ignore it for now. Oh, I can't hear uh, your
1: mic doesn't pick that up.
0: Oh, great. Anyway, um, everything I was seeing and reading and experiencing was telling me, you know, above that 10 to 12 people mark, it just loses so much impact in terms of the, your ability to create relationships, your ability to um, to grow in those friendships, and your ability to make any sort of, like, um, meaningful interactions happen. Because, like, if you have more than... 10, 12 people in a group and somebody is in need of of some law from whoever is in the leadership of that group, it feels a lot less offensive if you're in a smaller context, right? If you're in it, me as a pastor, my smaller services on Sundays tend to be in the neighborhood of around 30 people, 20, 30 people. In that size group, if I called out one particular person for their sin in the front of the in front of the congregation, that wouldn't go well. But when our council meets, yeah, they probably would. But in our council meetings, if when there's eight to ten people there, if somebody's acting out of order and I called them out on their you know, anger or whatever, um that might land not necessarily well, but it might land in an appropriate and um, positive way. Not positive in that it's gonna immediately fix everything, but positive in like, it might actually get them to reflect on what they're doing, right? Um, And so you can kind of even just see practically that is a real thing that happens. Um, And then the other thing that I, I really resonated with from your description was, the fact that it shouldn't always be about Bible study. Um, because, yes, understanding our God is incredibly important. Uh, and diving into scripture is incredibly important. Um, but sometimes, like, if you look at the way that the, the, the New Testament church modeled itself. Yes, they got together for studying the scriptures. Yes, they got together for prayer. But they also got together to eat. They got together for fellowship. Uh, they got together to build relationships Um, and it was uh, I had a cheat sheet that I handed out to all of the the small group leaders that I was training uh, over at Vicarage and one of the four uh, like key things to try and incorporate into your small group as much as possible in all caps was food Uh, because Eating together is, is one of the, like, how do I put this? It's, it's something that's incredibly personal and even to some extent, like, um, uh, I'm blanking on a word here, but like, there's just a level of, of closeness to the, to sharing a meal with someone that, that really can help grow and foster a relationship. Um, and you know, when the food is good, makes it even better, too. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely where my head was going right off the bat. Um, And I, as I'm thinking about this, though, too, that you mentioned that um, you want to make yourself accessible as a pastor to your small group leaders. And, like, uh, I think that's an incredibly important part of, simultaneously being willing to step away and let people uh, take charge of those groups because like you said we want to be able to take something off the pastor's plate in terms of some of that spiritual formation and care but at the same time that's a an act of faith on the part of a pastor to uh relinquish some of that control in, in the, the educational sphere of the congregation so how do you balance those things in terms of the way that you communicate with your small groups um, to ensure that they're doing things in a healthy way, uh, in a faithful way, and to make sure that you're not causing division in your congregation because sometimes that can be a result of a small group is small group goes off, they lack oversight, or they lack humility, and all of a sudden you have you know either a group that is approaching the church in the, in the incredibly political using that in the um the like active sense they they try to run the church from their small group or they just leave so how do you how do you deal with that so i think the
1: a big part of it is on uh On some level, it is important to watch to to have a handle on what material is is being uh, put forward. Mm -hmm. Right. So so the small groups here at Edgewater. I I generate the materials, the Bible studies, the discussions, um, which gives me some level of of, you know, direction. Right. I wouldn't say control because the discussion goes where the discussion goes, but it kind of like. I throw some leading questions in there, so I I you can kind of support the the right direction of thinking on some of this stuff. Um The other thing I haven't done yet, but I, I have an eye to start doing um is kind of rotating through the small groups and say say the leaders, hey, I'd like to come in and show up at your group for for a week and just do kind of an ask the pastor kind of thing. Like, what questions do you have about faith, about about the Bible, about anything? Like, shoot, I can't give you an answer to all of them, but I'll do my best. Um, And I think fundamental to all, kind of the second thing you were talking about, about um, kind of groups taking on an inappropriate life of their own, I think it really starts with, don't just forget about them, right? Continue to have a relationship with people in small groups and especially with the leaders, um, right? You are still their pastor. You are still responsible for spirit, like their spiritual formation, even if a lot of it's happening there. Like still, so, something I, I'm in the Pacific Southwest District and one of the programs they do is they have, um, they set you up with a one-on-one coach which has been a really cool experience for me. Um, A lot of really cool things have come out of it. And one of them is every Monday I have, it's a task in Google, in in my Google calendar, every Monday it reminds me to do this. I reach out to alphabetically the next person in my contact list um, from the church. And I say, hey, you wanna get coffee or or dinner sometime this week? and and I go and I grab coffee with them and and their family if they want to bring their family, and I just talk. I say, hey, how's life going? How's your family going? How's you know? And, and I do. I generally do ask. I say, how how do you feel like your spiritual life's going? How are your personal devotions? How's that kind of stuff? Um, because I do I do care about every single person in my congregation. If you're from Edgewater and you're hearing this, like I I do genuinely care about you. I genuinely care about your spiritual formation and you as, as a person. Um, so you, you want to ask, you know, how do we make sure small groups don't become something they, they don't <laughs> continue to be a pastor, I guess would be my, my maybe somewhat flippant response. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, you're hitting on, I don't know if this was in your intention, but I think you're hitting on another danger of small groups. And that is the, they're there's a temptation for it to become almost cliquish and i think i mean that's a danger you have to watch out for and if Mm -hmm. necessary maybe you need to show up to a small group in one week and apply a little bit of the law Mm -hmm. but proactively i'm thinking just make sure that small group you don't run everything through small groups right uh an example here at edgewaters we have volunteer teams on sunday mornings Right each each elder has a Sunday and they have their reader their usher their their slide person like they have their team for Sunday. Um, Make sure that those those team like if you're in small group a make sure that your uh, your your volunteer group is not the same people now there can be some overlap, but make sure like make sure to structure other groups for other purposes that are are kind of broader. Um, because the thing with small groups is you do kind of want to orient them around natural connections, right? So you have maybe a mom's group, or you have a, you know, we have a retirees group here. So like it's natural, the, the, you're going to want to spend time with people who connect with you in so many ways. Um, so I think that just takes some intentional effort in uh to to make sure that those connections aren't the only connections they have with the church Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. again seven months in we'll see ask me in a few years to see how this this (laughs) turns out
0: fair enough fair enough no i think i think everything that you've hit on is is my experiences with small groups too you know um you want to make sure that as a, a pastor you are really strongly connecting with your your leaders and making sure that they know and that they communicate um, that they are not to be the pastor of that small group. That small group's pastor is still the pastor of the, ch- the congregation. What they're there to do is to provide more opportunities to learn, to grow, to form relationships, to form community within a congregation. Um, and kind of create a support network, right? Um, There was an interesting stat that I heard and I can't remember exactly where I heard it, Um, but um, basically the, the idea was that at any given moment, if somebody can list three people that they know if they called barring there in the middle of something else urgent and important that that person would pick up knowing that like their friendship and relationship was strong enough that they would drop whatever they're doing and and pick up right and if you could list three people that are willing to do that for you um you're in a really good place and small groups can be an incredible way to start to form relationships like that where you can create that small network of people that no matter what happens they will drop everything answer your call um this little bit of an odd uh version of this but we have a really really close knit uh quilters group here at good shepherd um i think last year they made in the neighborhood of 200 quilts um for Lutheran World Relief and prayer quilts and baptismal quilts. Yeah. And the best part is they spend almost no money doing it. They have a pretty minimal budget and they take fabric donations from anywhere and everywhere and just use it all. Um, And it's amazing what they do, but they are also an incredibly tight knit community. And uh, there are things that happen here at the church that I'm like only kind of aware of because the quilters just put them together. Uh I I joked at one point that they're the mafia se- secretly running this church. And that's you know <laughs> a very sour uh take on what what these ladies do, but You
1: mean an awesome take?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe not the most optimistic take of what they do. <laughs> but I really value the community that they've built, and it's awesome that they have that. And I have a couple of connection points into that community that I know if something comes up and I need to know about it, I'm gonna know. And that's all that I want. Like That's all that I need is to continue to encourage that community, to foster that community, and to make sure that they know that I care about that community and the people in it. Um, and I, I'm I'm hoping to continue doing that in different places around the church and, and fostering that kind of community. But it it also helps that our quilters group is like maybe a quarter or a third of the church. So <laughs> yeah. Well, and I anyway. think
1: I think what that kind of to me that illustrates is the value of community, it doesn't have to be built around we meet once a week and do a Bible study, right? Um, It can be, hey, we all like to quilt, let's do that. I have I have a guy, he has a bunch of uh, dudes who like to smoke cigars. They go out on his cigar deck and smoke cigars like that's that. That's a small group community, right? Um, At least on some level. And there's a and and i'll have to let you know how this goes because i have really high hopes for it um we're we're starting a small group here that they're just going to get together and watch sports and i'm writing devotions for them during you know halftime or period break or or whatever Mm -hmm. baseball has if they have a season this year um so that so that there's there's that christian uh community and there's an aspect of of kind of, we're reflecting on God's word a, at least a little bit, but they're just going to meet together and watch sports because some people that's, you know, that's, that's how you want to build community. And honestly, that sounds pretty, pretty awesome to me. So yeah, um, if, if you're listening to this, maybe, maybe you're one of our friends from seminary, maybe you've been tasked with small groups, kind of be open to this flexibility, maybe that it doesn't have to be a Bible study. And for some people, maybe that's not even effective, right? Like there's some people, if you say, hey, do you wanna meet at this person's house once a week and do a Bible study? Their answer is gonna be a hard no. That is not their comfort zone. They're not, hey, let's sit and discuss these deep things of God. That's not their their table. But if you say, hey, you wanna come hang out, watch sports? I'm gonna read a devotion while we're there, but we're mostly just gonna watch sports. That's a much lower threshold, right? That's a lot easier to say yes to. Um, so, like, be willing to to create that lower threshold, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Those are I'm my thoughts. This is Those my almost sound like takeaways. Experience.
0: Those almost sound like takeaways, Josh. Are we? Uh, are we there yet?
1: I think we're there. You want to go first. Or do you, oh, want I mean, me you just first? went first. Did I? Yeah. I so I guess uh, if you missed that to bring it all into one, <laughs> have flexibility with your small groups,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the content, with how they what they look like, with how they're composed. Mm-hmm. Do what works.
0: And I think for me, it's you know as a pastor, if you are a pastor listening, don't forget to be a pastor to your small groups. And if you are a congregation member listening, and your pastor is not being a pastor to your small groups, um, get on his case nicely at first. Uh, and then Wait, yeah. Hold
1: on, I wouldn't even say get on his case nicely at first.
0: It no, get on this case, nice coffee taste, but... or something. Well, yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Take the first step.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, unless but... you're, unless I'm your pastor, then you just got to wait until I get to your name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
0: guys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Just engage. Small group to pastor, pastor to small group, and um, make sure that those groups are a part of the church as much as they are a part of growing in life and community and fellowship and in faith.
1: Amen. And for prayer ideas, just pray for the community. This, I guess, the sub communities at your church. Pray yeah. that everybody would continue to grow uh, in their in their discipleship. Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: yeah i and pray for uh all of the leaders of these these different communities and groups in your church um that can oftentimes be a hard job um it could be a thankless job um just lift them up and uh give them a thank you every once in a while amen all right uh brothers and sisters go in peace